You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Hey y'all, good morning. How you doing today? Yeah, great. Woo, there's some excitement. Love it, Q. Good to see you, man. If, uh, if you're a visitor for the first time or I have, you know, haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake, and I'm so glad that you've joined us. So good to be here with all of you. Uh, if you are visiting, it's probably helpful to know that our church, Midtown, we, we, uh, every about four months or so, we, uh, we take a practice from the life or the teachings of Jesus, and we seek to uh, uh, teach on that and help encourage one another to adopt that practice, to build it into our life. And then we work together to do, to do that by talking about our Sundays and in our small groups, our midtown communities during the week. And so two weeks ago, we started our fall practice from the life of Jesus, which we have called BLESS. Bless and bless is a, uh, a a word that we're using to capture two things: both what Jesus came to do and how he came to do it. See, Jesus came and kind of use this broad word to be a blessing. And my guess is that most of us in this room would readily say that we've been blessed by Jesus. That you that you would say, okay, Jesus has blessed me that through his life and death and resurrection, making the way for us to be forgiven of our sins and united with God and given life and life to the full and sealed with the spirit, God dwelling within us, we have been blessed. And we would say that as a result of how he's blessed us, he's poured his love into our hearts so that we too can be a blessing. So that the people in our lives, our family members and our friends and our coworkers and our classmates and our roommates and whoever, people in our life can know the love of God like we've been able to know through the love of Jesus so that we can be a blessing to them that they too can find life and life to the full in Christ. But the question is, how do we help people find life in Christ? How do we bless people in a way that, especially in this day and age, right, where it just feels like talking about Jesus with others is just awkward. It just feels weird. And sometimes it doesn't feel PC. Actually, a lot of times it doesn't feel PC. How do we bless people? How do we help them find life in Christ in a culture that seems to be getting more and more hostile even to the Christian faith? How do we bless people in the midst of the world we live in and the relationships that you have? How do we bless people? Well, um, one option is we don't, right? I mean, the option is that we, we just kind of keep our head down when we're in public. We, we don't talk about Jesus unless we're talking to him, uh, talking about him with our Christian friends, right? But like if you're in a workplace or in your na- we're talking with your neighbors, whatever, you just, you just edit that part of your life out. You just don't, you don't go there in conversation. You don't talk about Jesus. You just keep that part of your life private. 
That's, that's one option, right? Or another option is you could, you could say, okay, well, I'm going I'm to edit Jesus. I'm going to try to make him, you know, go with the times. And I'm going to make him less, uh, you know, uh, not politically correct. And so I'm going to just take out the, t- the bits of following him that, you know, people won't like. And, you know, but that changes about every five years or so. So it's kind of hard to keep up with that. And it's not really the right thing to do anyways. And so that's probably not a good option either. Or we could go instead of either of those two directions, we can opt for a third way of how to bless people and help people find life in Christ. We could go with what we would call the way of Jesus, right? I mean, y'all saw that coming, right? We would practice the way of Jesus, and we could look at how he blessed people and how he invited people to find life in him. And, and remember, this is helpful because in Jesus' day, people were very hostile towards him. Uh, if you want proof, they crucified him, right? So, like, people were hostile towards Jesus. People held his teachings at arm's length. They didn't know what they thought of that. There was a lot of people who were not on board with Jesus, and yet Jesus still found a way to bless people and invite them into the kingdom of God. How did he do that? Well, That's the other way we're trying to use this word, bless. We're capturing not just what he came to do, but how he came to do it. And so uh, we turned this word into an acronym. Actually, we didn't. Someone else did. And we stole it because we thought it was helpful. And in this acronym, you kind of captures how Jesus blessed people. How was it? Well, B, as y'all have kind of heard over the last couple weeks, stands for begin with prayer, Right? That he began with prayer. He began by praying for the people he was ministering to. And Justin did an awesome job teaching on the power of prayer last Sunday. And I really hope that you took us up on the invitation to begin praying for a couple of people by name this past week. If you haven't taken that step yet, then please encourage you to take that step. I would argue it's the most important step. That's why you begin with it. You begin with prayer. So Jesus, that's what he did, but that's not all he did. He also listened to people and he would take time to eat with people, and then he would serve them and he would share his life and the gospel, his gospel with people. This is how Jesus blessed those in his life that he was around. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to drill down on two of those practices, specifically uh, listen with care and eat with others. Listen and eat. And I'll tell you, I am really excited about this message because I think that these two practices, though they feel so ordinary, so you know, commonplace, uh, they aren't, or they haven't been for the most part within the church of America. That when it comes to trying to help bless people and that they would know the love of Jesus and find life in him, these two practices have been sadly neglected for the most part. And as a result, we have reduced Uh, telling people about Jesus, helping them know life in him. We've reduced that down in a lot of ways to just awkward, forced conversations. 
that often don't lead to deepening of relationship with the person you're talking to or with them and Jesus, but instead it causes more harm than good in a lot of ways. But friends, (laughs) it doesn't have to be that way. And we know that because we can learn from the life of Jesus and how he blessed people. And so we're going to learn from his life by looking at a couple passages in the book of Luke today. And we're going to start off in Luke chapter 5, and then we'll jump to Luke chapter 19 to see how Jesus blessed people and helped them find life, life to the full in him. So if you will, let's go to Luke chapter 5, and we're going to pick up in verse 27. Let me read it for us. It says, uh, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. And then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. All right. Now, if you've been with Midtown for a little while, you know that I just taught on this passage not too long ago. And so I'm not going to camp out here. Instead, what I want to do is just connect the dots between what Jesus said that he came to do, which is found in that last line, I've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. I want to connect that dot with what he was doing at the time. So what did he come to do? I just read it, right? Or if I was to put it positively, it would be Jesus says, I have come to call sinners to repentance, right? Right? Now, how was he doing that? Was Jesus out on the corner with a megaphone, sandwich board, yelling at people, tax collectors and sinners, repent, repent. You know, was that that what he was doing? No, he was literally at a party, eating and drinking, hanging out with these tax collectors and sinners. So he said, I have come to call Sinners to repentance. We say, how are you doing that, Jesus? (laughs) By what I'm doing right now, eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. See, that was Jesus's common practice. In fact, just to highlight another story to see that this isn't like a one-time occurrence, skip to Luke chapter 19, verse 1. There we read, uh, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd because he was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And so he ran ahead, and he climbed up that sycamore fig tree to see him. And since Jesus was coming That way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, because, you know, this guy was rich and Jesus was homeless. So you you do the math. I'm staying at your house today, Zacchaeus. 
And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, which he most definitely had, I will pay, <coughs> I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation, and pay attention to that word, Today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, Jesus' way to refer to himself, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Now, let me take a, just a, a, a brief aside real quick and address the language that Jesus uses here, that uh, it, there's a chance, and, and I completely understand if so, that this language of the lost might feel offensive to you, especially if you're here and, 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 and you're not a Jesus follower, you, you, you have questions about Jesus, or you're not sure about faith or this whole thing, or you don't have any faith, you're just here because someone promised you lunch afterwards. Uh, we're, one, I want you to know, we're really glad you're here. You are welcome here. We're so glad you're here. But if, you, if, if that's you, or perhaps just for any of us in general, we might fit like kind of bristle at Jesus' language of lost. And so let me address that real quick by saying that it's helpful to know why Jesus used that language and what he meant by it, okay? So when he says lost, he is not connecting that or ascribing to that word any sense of lack of intelligence or lack of morality, He's not, by loss, he's not meaning that bad people or, or un, you know, unintelligent people or anything like that. He, he just means that they're lost and everyone gets lost. I mean, we've all been lost, right? I, I get lost every time we travel uh, to someplace new, which is why Krista, my wife, has told me um, she would not take me to be her partner on Amazing Race. Which <laughs> is just mean, but we all get lost, Right? See, Jesus uses this word because he knows that people are looking for the way to be happy and for the way to deal with and, and overcome the brokenness in this world or the brokenness in their life. But most have not been able to find it. See, Jesus came from heaven to earth, to make the way for us to find what we're looking for, which he knows ultimately is found in a restored relationship with God. For that is where true life and joy and wholeness is found. And so he came to seek and to save the lost in order to help everyone find their way into the kingdom of God and to be united with the love and the person of God, which is what, friends, we see him doing here in this story in Luke 19 with Zacchaeus, that Jesus came and he sought him out to help him find his way back to God. And he did that by inviting himself over so he could have dinner with him and so he could crash on Zacchaeus' sofa. Because that's what Jesus did. That's how he was seeking and saving the lost. See, these two stories of Jesus eating and drinking, spending time with, quote, tax collectors and sinners, 
was a very common practice in his life. In fact, in another story also recorded in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 7, Jesus is talking to a crowd of people and he says this. He says, the son of man, again, his way to reference himself, the son of man came eating and drinking and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners, which friends just goes to show that eating and drinking with people that were not yet following him was such a frequent practice of Jesus that people said that he was a glutton and a drunkard. And I, I, I don't think that Jesus actually was a glutton and a drunkard. But eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners was such a regular occurrence in his life that he got that reputation. That, that tells you something about how often he did this, right? This was a common practice. Now, why was this a common practice for Jesus? Well, it's because if you were to survey the four Gospels to see if Jesus had, you know, a method, and, uh, you know, please, you know, pardon my crass language with that, but if you were to survey the four Gospels, see what Jesus' method was in blessing people and helping people find their way into the kingdom of God, what you would find as you surveyed the Gospels is that he basically had kind of two methods, if you will. The first is that if he was with, you know, people that were, uh, you know, a bu- just like a bunch of uh, conservatives or uh, culturally religious people who already, for the most part, you know, believed in God, but, uh, you know, maybe had lost the plot line a little bit, they, he would stand up in front of that crowd and he would preach to them. But if he was with somebody who was on the margins, you know, somebody who had been hurt by the people of God or had had a really bad past experience or who felt like they didn't measure up for whatever reason or who weren't interested in knowing God or somebody for whatever reason just wanted nothing to do with organized religion. People like, I don't know, tax collectors like Levi and Zacchaeus, here's what he would do. He would seek them out and he would have dinner with them. He'd eat a meal with them. And they would, over a loaf of bread and a pitcher of wine, maybe some grilled fish, that have a dinner that you know, extends long into the evening, and he would talk with them, and he would listen to them, and he'd get to know them. That's what Jesus would do. That was his go-to practice for people on the margins. We live in a world right now, most people fit the margin category. And so this practice of listening and eating with people is critical for us in practicing the way of Jesus and helping people find life and life to the full in him. See, these two practices uh, from the life of Jesus, again, that we're calling listening and, and eating, they really go hand in hand with what the New Testament authors called hospitality. Hospitality. The word hospitality is, is philozenia, and it's a compound word. Philo means love. Let's think about Philadelphia, you know, city of brotherly love, uh, wrongfully named. They are not loving people in Philadelphia. Uh, and xenos uh, means stranger. 
stranger or foreigner or immigrant or refugee or outsider or even guest. And so whereas xenophobia is the opposite of hospitality, right? Xenophobia is the phobia or the fear of the stranger or the refugee. Where the, but xenophobia, I mean, philoxenia literally is the opposite of that. It's love of the stranger. It speaks to the welcome of the outsider, the refugee or guest. The author, uh, John Mark Comer, captures the idea of biblical hospitality in this way. I think it's really good. He says, hospitality expresses the welcome of God the Father to all through tangible acts of love, such as the giving of food and shelter and relationship. And throughout, friends, the New Testament, followers of Jesus are called to practice hospitality. I mean, think about what uh, the apostle Paul wrote in Romans 12, verse 13. He literally said, practice hospitality. It's just right there, very clear. Practice hospitality. And in 1 Peter, the, uh, Peter, disciple of Jesus, he says in chapter 4, verse 9, 10, offer hospitality to one another. And then you have to love that he adds that on, without grumbling. You see that? It's like, he must have done that before. He knows that it's not easy. But he says, without grumbling. He goes on, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve other, whatever gift that like your house, your apartment, your culinary skills or your money to buy nice food or whatever it might be. Use whatever gifts that you have been given to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I read those passages because the, the, the point is, is that as followers of Jesus, we are commanded to carry on this practice from the way of Jesus, to listen and to eat, to be hospitable, to welcome people in that they might find God. See, uh, one of the things I love about this practice is that it is so ordinary, but it's pregnant with potential. The, uh, one of my favorite uh, books, all time, is a book on biblical hospitality. If, if that isn't a, such a pastor thing to, to admit, I don't know what is. But yeah, that's my favorite topic, my favorite book, uh, Biblical Hospitality. It was written by a woman named Rosaria Butterfield. And uh, Rosaria Butterfield has an, a really wild story. She tells it in that book. She, she says, uh, and which, by the way, we have this book out on a resource table. If you want to pick it up, I'd recommend it. But she, she was, uh, Butterfield was, in her own words, a uh, far-left, radical lesbian feminist. And she was also a tenured professor at Syracuse University with a specialty in postmodern critical theory and literature. And she had absolutely no desire to follow Jesus. In fact, she was writing a book on how, on how Bible-believing Christians are a threat to and a menace to society. But as part of her research for the book, and she's a very bright academic, she knew, okay, if I'm going to write this book, I need to actually spend some time with these Bible-believing Christians. And so she, she decided she would do that. And she had written a letter, uh, or she had actually written an editorial in a New York paper that was this scathing indictment of this Christian men's conference. And a local pastor had uh, responded to her article by writing her a letter that was, according to her, 
a gracious and thoughtful response that ended with an invitation to come have dinner with him and his wife. And so Butterfield thought, okay, I have to do some research anyway. I have to spend some time with some Christians anyway for this book I'm writing. And so I guess I'll say yes. And again, in the story, she, she talks about how she pulls up into the driveway of this pastor and his wife's house, and she is thinking, am I crazy? Like, I, what am I doing? Like, this guy stands for everything that I'm against. Why am I about to spend time with them? But eventually she walks to the door, and she's warmly welcomed in. And she experiences their hospitality and love, and grace over a meal. And it changed her life. Not right away. It was just enough to cause her to want to come back the next time they invited her. And she did. She came back, and then they invited her again. She came back, and she invited her again. And then she ended up coming to one of their Bible studies. And uh, then she joined their small group. And then eventually she put her faith in Christ, and she joined their church. See, uh, she came, uh, this, this, she would say, okay, now I am a follower of Jesus that's married to a Presbyterian pastor and a foster parent and a Christian author writing about the power of hospitality. And in that book, uh, she begins it with this. I just want to read it. It's so good. She says, Radically ordinary hospitality. Those who live it see a stranger as neighbors and neighbors as the family of God. They recoil at reducing a person to a category or a label, such as liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat, gay, or straight. Instead, they see God's image reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. Those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to us for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open doors. They seek out the underprivileged. They know that the gospel comes with a house key. Isn't that a great line? The gospel comes with a house key. That's the name of the book. See, friends, um, at its base, Hospitality is about providing a space for God's spirit to move. The setting a table and cooking a meal and washing dishes is the ministry of facilitation. They provide a context in which people feel loved and welcomed and where God's spirit can work as you get to know one another and spend time together. Now, listen carefully because I don't want... To, 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 you need to get mixed up on this because today in our culture, when we talk about hospitality, usually what comes to mind is something for one age group, uh, like Martha Stewart, for another age group, maybe jo- Joanna Gaines, right? And then like Magnolia Magazine and then just HCTV, whatever it is. But like, you know, like this kind of really ornate, 
where you have people over and you got this great feast of a meal spread out on your table with your fine china and everything is picture perfect and you happen to live in a 4,000 square foot house where everyone's there or you have this 50 foot table in the backyard, right? With the really cool tea lights hanging over them and, you know, it's like fireplaces that are perfectly spread out here, you know, whatever. Like that's not what the New Testament writers are talking about when they talk about practicing hospitality. See, if it was, then we would all be in trouble, or most of us at least would be in trouble. We, we don't have that. I mean, you're, you're probably, you know, UT student, you're like, how do I do that living in a dorm or, you know, 20-something living, living with three other guys who haven't learned how to make their bed yet, you know? And it's like, well, I'm gonna have people over my house. Well, how do we do this? That's, that's not what biblical hospitality looks like. That, that friends, I tell you, the Martha Stewart whatever, you know, that kind of deal, that's, that's called entertainment. That's not hospitality. See, inter- entertainment is about performance. You show off your home, your culinary skills or whatever. But hospitality, on the other hand, is about service and love and extending friendship to others. And that, friends, is powerful. In fact, uh Historians will argue that it was through the practice of hospitality that the gospel spread at such a rapid pace in the first hundreds of years of the church, where it went from 120 people in an upper room after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension to uh, about three centuries later being the dominant religion of the Roman Empire. How did that happen? (coughs) Excuse me. How did that happen with no internet, right? No social media, no uh, even church buildings, no, no, uh, uh, you know, no to very little religious freedom. How in the world did the gospel spread that rapidly and that far and reach that many people? Well, it spread from one home to the next, one table to the next, all over some good, some good food and good conversation. But tragically, friends, this is something that we've lost for the most part, that we've lost in the West with our hyper-individualism and our go, go, go pace. But what if we were to recapture it? You know, what if we were to recapture radically ordinary hospitality as central to our way of life? What if welcoming people and listening to them and eating with them became the primary way that we join Jesus in his quest to, quote, seek and save the lost, to help people find their way back to God? See, I think if we did that, we would become a lot more like Jesus and our city would become a lot more like heaven. Now, Let me be clear, okay? Let's get real practical. I am not saying that you should have someone over for dinner so you can force a gospel conversation, okay? I'm not saying here's a way to hit a captive audience. You get them sitting down at the table, you put the food in front of them, and now they're stuck. And as you're pouring the wine into their cup, you say, you know, this wine... It reminds me of Jesus' blood poured out 
for the forgiveness of your sins. Have you ever placed your faith? Now, I'm not, that would be so awkward, right? I mean, that would be, ugh. You ever go out to a dinner with someone and you think they, they just want to get to know you and it turns out that halfway through the dinner, they pour out, pull out a pamphlet and they got essential oils up on the table and they're trying to sell you something and you're like, oh, this is so gross. You just got to go take a shower, right? Like, ugh, bait and switch. I mean, we hate that. That is not what I'm talking about. Y'all hear that? That is not what I'm talking about. So what am I talking about? What would you do at this, at this dinner? You invite your neighbors over, your coworker over, or whoever, right? What are you going to do together? What do, you, what do you do over that meal? Well, friends, it's really simple. You could actually call it radically ordinary. Here it is. You ready? You welcome them. You eat with them. And you get to know them better. And the way you get to know them better is by asking questions and then listening. That's, that is, like, that is what you do. See, um, when you invite someone over, it's really common to worry about what you're going to talk about. I've been there. And, and it's really common to fear that you're going to be boring. You're not going to be able to keep the conversation going and all that kind of stuff. I get that. But friends, instead of worrying about what you're going to say, instead, just aim to learn about the other person. Just ask some questions. Ask questions and listen. That's actually one of the best ways to tangibly love someone. To quote David W. Augsburger in his book, Caring Enough to Hear and to Be Heard, he says, being heard is as close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. We feel that, right? Or I think about what Dallas Willard said. He said, the first act of love is always the giving of attention. See, this is a tangible way to love people. Have them over. Give them some food and listen to them. Uh, See, what we often miss as we read through the New Testament is how many questions Jesus asked. When you survey the four Gospels, you find that he asked 307 questions. Now, what I find fascinating is that we only have about 100 recorded questions that Jesus was asked. Isn't that interesting? which is to say that in the Gospels, Jesus asked way more questions than he was asked. And I think a big reason why is because he was genuinely interested in people, that he cared about them. Friends, he was a great friend. Let's be like Jesus. So what do you do over dinner? You welcome you eat, you get to know them better by asking questions and listening. And then, last thing, if your guest is interested in getting to know you, like they ask you some questions, then you share who you are as a follower of Jesus. And what I mean by that is you don't hide who you are. You don't edit that part out of your life. You just be you in the conversation, that you love Jesus, you follow Jesus, 
that's who you are. So bring all of who you are into the conversation and then let God do what God does. See, at the end of that dinner, if all that happens is that your neighbor, friend, coworker leaves, uh, feeling loved and welcomed, then you have loved your neighbor well and you have honored your God and hopefully you have deepened your friendship. And friends, that's beautiful. That's good. That's the way of Jesus. See, is this coming into focus for you? I really hope it is because, because, like I said, this is central to the way of Jesus. It's not an add-on, it's not, and it's not superfluous. Listening to and eating with others, practicing hospitality is central. And here's why. It's because, as Jesus said, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so uh, this week... Uh, you'll see in our blessed practice guide. I should have brought one up here. I didn't, but we have them out in the lobby if you don't have one yet. But see in our blessed practice guide uh, that the practice for this week that we're asking all of us to take as we seek to you know, build in this practice of the life of Jesus into our life, right? Our practice for this week is, is, is very simple. It's to invite someone to share a meal with you. Now, you might not be able to get that scheduled this week. That's fine. Just make the invitation this week and then land on a date that where you can have someone over to your house for dinner or you can go out for dinner, whatever you need to do. And the, friends, the beauty of this practice, if you think about it, and you, is that uh, <laughs> we already eat usually two to three times a day or four or five, depending on the person, right? And so, you know, like you're not adding something more to your schedule. You just, you just, you know, redeem this part of your day and use it for kingdom purposes. Add a little intentionality to something that you already do. See, we can all do this all of us. All you need is a table. And it doesn't even have to be yours. Go find your Zacchaeus, right? Invite yourself over, right? <laughs> it's just it's great. Find a table. Go out to eat if you need to. Either way, just welcome someone you've been praying for to eat with you. And seek to express love in a tangible way by asking questions and listening and eating some good food together. No agenda other than to welcome them and to get to know them. No bait and switch. You just be who you are. You love Jesus. You follow Jesus. That's who you are. And so be there and be present to the person in front of you and to be present to the God within you. And just watch what God does over time. I would argue that in our culture today, with all of the apathy or sometimes even hostility and busyness and noise, Jesus' way is still the best way to bless people and help them find their way into the kingdom and the life found in Jesus. Because, friends, (laughs) there's still 
no better way to get to know people than over a meal. So let's invite someone to share a meal with us this week. Cool? Great. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us, because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven. Thank you.